Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. This week, we're wrapping up Bread Month with a review of our monkey bread and introducing not one, but two bake-alongs, a white yeast loaf from Australia and my favorite no-need sourdough. Also, the Preheated Book Club is back with some titles that fit perfectly into our month of dough. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, back at the end of last year in episode 57, we were talking about a lot of brunch goodies, and we mentioned at the time that there had been this brunch revolt. Do you remember all of this discussion? Yes. <laughs> all sorts of people coming out and claiming they hated brunch. It was it was very aggressive, and I actually thought it was somewhat unkind. What? <laughs> Indeed, we're brunch lovers here at Preheated. Well, apparently they did not get the brunch hate memo in the UK because uh, sales of sourdough bread are up 40% because of how much Britons love their brunch. Oh, Now, apparently sourdough is the loaf to have with your brunch when you are eating out. Here's what one baker says about why she considers it to be the best. It's flavorsome, has a nicer texture, and retains its structure perfectly when served with classic brunch foods like poached eggs, mashed avocado, or roast tomato. So there you have it. Okay, I like that. So sort of like a slice maybe kind of grilled and on the side of your plate. Is that how you think it's being served? Do you have brunch experience in the UK? Have you done some field work, some investigative work? I do a bit. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I do. And, you know, um, avocado on toast here, which I think still in the States is really huge. It's yeah. just out of control here as well. And so you'll often see that. And, you know, one thing I really love that they serve at breakfast time or brunch time here is baked beans. And it's Ugh. such this different. <laughs> oh, sorry. What? No, it's it's actually. At breakfast? That was my first. I, I will admit, at breakfast, it, it was my first reaction a bit too. But uh, it actually goes really well, I find, with eggs and sausage or bacon and then you have your baked beans and you kind of scoop it onto your toast your sourdough loaf as well I think it works so I guess I do like a like a huevos rancheros I do like a black beans with the eggs in that dish so I guess okay I I revoke my earlier sound of disgust (laughs) and I am willing when you said baked beans I immediately thought of kind of that can of Hormel baked beans with like the pieces of bacon in it and it's kind of sweet oh no that's exactly what it is oh (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) All right. Well, I don't know. I'll, it's I'll pretty work on that. good. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to do some investigative reporting of my own because that, upon initial thought, is not grabbing me. But if a whole okay. nation's doing it, it must be working. <laughs> a whole nation's doing it and is embracing brunch and the sourdough. So, just wanted to pass that that along during the last week of Bread Month. 
And speaking of the your lovely adopted nation and what they're doing, I'm baffled by something, and I'm hope you you can answer this for me. As you know, I have the Waitrose Magazine app on my phone, and I just love getting my monthly Waitrose <laughs> Magazine here in Olympia, Washington. Uh, for those of you who have not been listening, this is Stefan's grocery store that she frequents most in London, and I like to get their app because they have some great recipes. So the yeah. cover has these beautiful rolls on the cover of it. I would, you know, I they look to me like some sort of meat roll. And as you know, mm-hmm. I sent you a text saying, have you seen the March Weight Rose magazine? It's fabulous. And you wrote back and said, you know, the one with the sausage rolls on the front. And I confirmed that that was the one. So I told yeah. my husband that I couldn't wait to try this. He said, oh my gosh, that sounds so good. I pull up the recipe and in the intro, it says, few things compare with a homemade sausage roll still warm and crisp from the oven. I felt like this fit into bread month as well because there's bread involved. <laughs> totally. Yes, hot and crisp from the oven. There you go. And then as I read the recipe, oh, the one thing that I found a bit shocking, and this is where I need your help, nary a sausage to be seen. So <laughs> it is made with lamb. And so why is it a dish made with lamb called a sausage roll? What am I missing here? Oh, no. (laughs) I got nothing. Um, Okay, so sausage roll to you would usually use sausage. I'm not crazy on that, right? You know, I actually don't know if I've ever eaten a sausage roll. Is it, I'm thinking like pigs in blanket. That's immediately what comes to my mind, right? Like some kind of fancy pigs in blanket. Uh, Is it just like the meat is wrapped inside the roll? Yes. Do you you Mm -hmm. form the lamb into a patty? Um, It looks like it's just, you know, it's ground or as you would say, minced. I love that word. It's just so cute. Minced lamb, yes. And it does it does seem like you you mix all the ingredients into the mince, you know, the onions and the spices. And um, you do, you form, it's, well, I guess if I'd read the recipe before I ask you, form into long sausages along the middle of each piece of pastry. So I guess they're referring to the shape. So I think it sounds to me like you're just making kind of fresh homemade sausage and putting it into that shape as opposed to using a pre-made sausage yes or hot dog yes. like we would think of a hot dog or like a kielbasa sausage something like that well but you know hmm. for me sausage usually means pork anyway this inspired at least half an hour discussion between me and my husband <laughs> as we were walking our dog because then he brought up well what about chicken sausage and that's just chicken and that you know and then we said well to be sausage does it have to have a casing and there was a lot of uh, controversy really from that recipe so i'm excited to make it i actually did buy some ground lamb i don't cook a lot with lamb so i'm excited to try Try that, and I will report back, of course, <laughs> on the results. And of course, what just slays me about all of this is that you're texting me. Have you seen the Waitrose magazine? <laughs> which I have not yet cracked. It's like in my stack of, of things to read. It so um, you have the intel here first. Listeners, we will report back on exactly what is going on with sausage rolls here. It is a really good issue this month. I mean, there's also that lime drizzle cake that I sent you, lime and coconut loaf cake with lime glaze. Oh my gosh, it looks so good. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on at Waitrose this month. <laughs> And uh, what you may not believe is this month is not actually brought to you by Waitress. No, so, yes. no. <laughs> unpaid sponsor, Waitress. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, um, that is just pretty exciting. So I just wanted to check that out with you. The other thing I wanted to say real quick is a shout out to some of our bread bakers on our Facebook group. I thought that Robert did an interesting twist there. It looks like he only had one bread loaf pan or maybe he had two bread loaf pans, but he didn't have enough batter for the second loaf pan. So he made the no need peasant bread from episode 68 and he put it in a popover pan. I noticed that too. That was super clever. And it looks like it went really well. He had the comment that he ate it straight out of the oven with butter and jam. And so it probably wasn't fair to judge it just on that since <laughs> hard to go wrong. anything would taste mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. straight out of the oven with butter and jam. Uh, but yeah, you know, making that into rolls or some other kind of shape uh, had not occurred to me, but makes a lot of sense. Well, and it really is making me go back to strongly considering getting this book. Again, it is by Alexandra Stafford. It's called Bread Toast Crumbs. And when you look at the description, she says that she's got 40 different variations on that no-need peasant bread. And one that showed up in her Instagram feed the other day was one with uh, Parmesan cheese and I think chives. And it just looks Mm. so good. And again, I had such success with that recipe. You had such success with that recipe. It looks like our listeners are having great success with that recipe. So I I think I'm going to start doing the variations and have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, so check back, too. I think that is a, is a cookbook worth re- revisiting mm-hmm. down the line. Yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of this week's recipe, Andrea, we went over to the sweet side for our homemade monkey bread. This is sometimes also referred to as a pull-apart cinnamon roll. You and I, I think, had both had plenty of experience eating this treat, but none baking it. This was a recipe from Sally's Baking Addiction. And Andrea, I realized as I started making this that this is under the classification of an enriched dough because it had the, uh, you know, up till now we've been making bread that was strictly a flour, salt, maybe a little sugar, water, and yeast. Yes. This has also butter and eggs, which are contributing very much to the very rich oh, yes. end product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you bake it in a bunt pan, which we loved as well. Uh, this rises overnight, then you take it take it out and form it into balls, roll those balls in melted butter and a cinnamon sugar mixture, leave for a short second rise and then bake it. Andrea, this was fantastic. It was a showstopper, very impressive to look at, super delicious to eat. How did it go for you? I would agree with that. It was incredibly delicious. It was maybe not as much of a showstopper as yours because one thing I did a little bit differently was I decided to make it in the mini bunt pans. So it was very cute. Don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, maybe not quite as impressive. And the reason I went with the mini bunt, I had mentioned to you that my primary experience with monkey bread is at office potluck type situations. And there's always been two things I didn't really like about monkey bread. Number one, I don't like the name. I, I think monkey bread is not appealing. I don't think of the monkey eating something as a, a, a pleasurable thought <laughs> or eating a monkey as a pleasurable thought. So there was nothing about that that I like. I would rather call it pull-apart cinnamon bread. The second thing is when you make it in one big bunt, it's sort of like everyone just diving in and grabbing and using their hands. And the ones I've had at my office parties typically have like a sticky caramel glaze on it. And so then you're getting your hands all sticky 
and you're seeing people kind of lick their fingers and then they're reaching right. back in. I mean, I'll, I'll stop there. But just suffice it to say that I immediately thought to myself, you know, a mini bunt might be the way to go here because then each person can have one and there's no, you know, sharing or that kind of thing. Yes. I did think the recipe was pretty easy. I had a couple of questions for you. So when making the dough, as you mentioned, it's the active dry yeast and some water, which of course you have to activate the yeast. So it's not like the instant yeast we used in prior recipes. Some unsalted butter, some sugar, some eggs, some salt, and some all-purpose flour. She recommended Red Star Platinum Yeast. Is that just a, you know, marketing type thing or a sponsored post type thing? Or is there really something special about Red Star Platinum Yeast? Because I had never heard of it and I've never used it. I have used it. I used it for my bread machine yeast. Okay. I can't remember off the top of my head if that was the platinum or if that was their specific bread machine yeast. But right, I don't see, I mean, obviously I didn't have that here. Mm-hmm. I did not use that in this recipe and I had great success. So okay. I'm not sure if that's just someone who's, you know, sponsoring her or, or this recipe. Um, I don't know why it would be different. Yeah. And yeah. maybe she's just had really great success with it and she just knows that it works really well with this. But it was one of the few recipes I've seen where she recommended a particular brand and then the instructions actually change depending on whether you use that brand or not. So, you know, down in step four, she says, if you did not use the Red Star Platinum yeast, uh, cover the pan and allow the dough balls to rise again for about 45 minutes. If you did use the Red Star Platinum yeast, move ahead to the next step and bake right, right away. Right. I read a lot of the comments on this. I thought they were pretty interesting. And I noticed a couple of people skipped the rises. They skipped, they even skipped the eight hour rise. They were like, yes. yeah, still baked up just fine. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I had that exact same thought, Andrea. And and part of it was a frustration because you put it, I made the dough, it was came together very easily. And then you stick it overnight. Mm-hmm. Well, that required me if I wanted to eat them for breakfast, which I did, to get up a little on the early side right. for my taste. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I was having a brunch because I love brunch. And so I got up at 7.30 and pulled it out of the fridge and started that. But still, I had to do that to get it ready for the 10.30 brunch. Yeah. So I had that thought, too, that if I do this one again, that I might just see how it works just doing maybe a two-hour rise or, mm-hmm. you know, until doubled at room temperature, not in the fridge. Not in the fridge. Punch it down. Yeah, exactly. And see what happens with that. Yeah. Uh, I, because I don't, I don't see how that would affect it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. I'm, I'm, And a lot of people also commented on the dough being hard after that first rise. I did not yep. have that problem. Did you run into that? I did. In fact, oh. I have a note. Uh, so in step four, she says, punch the cold dough down very gently. There was no punching that down. Like it was very stiff. It had definitely increased in size. I could tell that, that the yeast had worked, but it was not fluffy or punchable. And to the point that I thought, uh-oh, like I've killed my yeast. Yeah. I'm going to make these balls and do the second rise. It's going to be a dud. And you know, but it didn't. So it was it was a spectacular success in the end. Mm-hmm. But at that point, with that very cold dough, I I did I I was losing faith. So, okay. Yeah. I guess if that happens to you, it it whatever had it doesn't matter. Right. It, it still works. Don't yeah. worry. And that that is the main reason I wanted to point out the comments. There were so many people who said they had trouble with this instruction or that instruction, but they soldiered on and it turned out just fine. So. Yeah. 
I think that's something to keep in mind. So once you've risen your dough uh, a couple of times, you, as Stefan said, you dip them in some melted butter that's got some, um, and then dip them in a, a second time in a mixture of sugar and cinnamon and vanilla. So you get this nice coating on the balls, and then you place them into your bunt pan. I had to do a little math here because with my mini bunts, I only have four of those. So I cut the recipe in half, and that actually perfectly did for mini bunt pans. And she states you'll need 40 to 45 balls total. I cut that to, I decided that was going to be like 20 to 22 balls. And so I used my food scale and I actually weighed each one to make sure they were about the same. And so I got um, five ball, I ended up with 25 balls, five balls in each mini bunt pan. And that just filled it perfectly. I let them do that second rise for 45 minutes. And then I baked those. And when they popped out, you know, I didn't have to put the foil over the top. She mentioned you can do that if they're browning too much, but I didn't have that problem. I popped them out. Um, Of course, they popped out so easily because I did use my Baker's Joy, (laughs) as I now do every time I use a bun. You're so lucky. I know. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry to, you know, really kind of uh, throw that in your face. I know. know. You're teasing me. And then I did a lovely glaze. The glaze was confectioner's sugar and just a tiny little bit of heavy cream. Actually, I didn't have any heavy cream on hand, so I just used milk, and that worked just fine, and a little bit of vanilla, and poured that glaze on top. And they just were so good out of the oven. She does mention in step seven, monkey bread tastes best served on the same day, but will stay fresh for three days if stored covered at room temperature or in the fridge. So I wanted to ask you if you had it all on the first day or if you had some on subsequent days and how it tasted to you? It was just the four of us in, in my family when I made this. And so we definitely had leftovers. Yeah. And that did prompt me to think, because you had done the minis, which I loved that idea, I would maybe do this in half next time. Mm-hmm. Maybe make the whole recipe, but set aside, you know, freeze half my dough. I often freeze cinnamon rolls at that kind of after the first rise stage, they're formed into the cinnamon roll shape. I put them in the pan, freeze them, and then bring them out up to room temperature, rise them, and and away I go. So Mm -hmm. I think this recipe would take kindly to that as well. It was a lot for four people. This is definitely, I mean, I think it it says 14 servings. So yes, we ate it for about three days. I think think the texture and the taste remained fine um, throughout. There's a lot of fat in this recipe and in the um, coating, which I think really helps keep it it moist. Um, You know, one thought that also toward that end of having the recipe, um, I found that the one and a quarter cup of granulated sugar was much too much for my uh, dough balls. I had about 43 of the dough balls for the standard size bun. I would maybe cut that down by half because then I had a mixture that I had to throw away at the end. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe just watch there for preference. And I couldn't put any more on. I even sprinkled some remainder once they were in the pan and I still couldn't use it up. So okay, yeah. And likewise with the glaze, I think that's more of a preference too. I don't like a super heavy glaze on cinnamon rolls or or, uh, these type of monkey bread. So um, I cut that back by about a third. I think it still was, was plenty of glaze. I did the same thing. I, I agree with you on both of those counts. I did end up tossing okay. a little bit of that sugar cinnamon mixture. Of course, I could have thrown that into a, a container and left it in my pantry because there's so many times where you do a similar mixture, but I, I just got rid of it. Well, but mine had like the gooey from the butter 
Oh, because good point. I thought that too. Yeah. And then I was like, no, I don't want to keep I yeah. don't want to keep this. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I really enjoyed from the comments, and I wanted to share this with listeners in case you didn't make this with us, but it's on your list and you don't have a bunt pan, is I loved one lady's comment. She went to make this and she either couldn't find her bunt pan or didn't have one and she called her mom. And she said her mom told her to take a regular old cake pan and stick a coffee cup upside down in the middle of it. And so that's Bingo. what she used. And of course, I think she did have to cut the recipe in half, obviously, because she didn't have those tall sides. But she said that worked perfectly. And so keep that in mind, listeners. If you don't have a bunt pan, there is still a way to make this delicious bread. Yeah, this was a really big hit with with lots of people in my house, with everyone in my house, and uh, would definitely make this again. So that was the um, homemade monkey bread or pull apart cinnamon roll uh, from Sally's Baking Addiction. Next up, this week's Bake Along is not just one, but two of our favorite recipes. So I will kick it off with one of my favorite recipes, and that is my favorite no-need sourdough or my favorite no-need cast iron bread. I've made so many different iterations of this bread, it's even hard for me to figure out what to title it. This is the bread that I make in the cast iron pan and or the cast iron Dutch oven. And here is the really funny thing about this that I learned while researching the recipe. Okay. <laughs> I had been given this recipe by my mother-in-law and um, I had bookmarked it on my computer and it's from 2013. So I knew that was how long I had been making it. Okay. Shortly thereafter, there was the, I think I saw the article in the New York Times and it mentioned Jim Leahy and the Sullivan Street Bakery. And so I knew that he was really one of the people who had started it. And then on our Facebook group, I think it was listener Andrew who had posted and said he uses Mark Bittman's recipe for this. And I had replied yes. that I use Mark Bittman for a lot of things, but I hadn't used his no need. So as I sat down, I thought, well, I'm going to compare the three recipes and see what the difference is between them. So first, I pulled up my recipe that I've been using since 2013. And lo and behold, in the introduction, which I had never, you know, taken the time to read, she says, I am baking this based on Jim Leahy's Sullivan Street Bakery bread. Oh. <laughs> So I thought, oh, okay, well, that that's, that's helpful that. to know. Then I go to the New York Times article, and, you know, I did a search, New York Times, no need, cast iron bread, Jim Leahy. I pull it up, and lo and behold, it is the article written by Mark Bittman. So, of oh. course, it's kind of the Mark Bittman recipe because he went to Jim's bakery and saw him make this. And I love the origin story of this. This is back when Mark Bittman was writing that weekly column for the New York Times, and he made the comment that he had been baking bread since the 1970s and, you know, baking bread once a week and kind of nothing new in the bread world, just tolling along. And he got this email from Jim Leahy, and it said, I have come up with a way to bake no-need bread that tastes fabulous and any home cook can do it, and you're welcome to come watch me do it. And he just ran down there. They took a video camera. They filmed it. And, you know, away it went. And it's one of oh. the New York Times most downloaded, most saved, most shared recipes. I love that story also because the whole point of sourdough is that you are sharing that with someone, with your sourdough yes. starter. And so it's almost like this recipe was like the sourdough starter, how it was passed along in different iterations. So I love that. It's so true. And so um, I'll post a link to the one that I've always used, which, like I said, is from that blog from 2013. She also has a video, which I really like. Uh, but if you want to use that one or you want to use the Mark Bittman one or you want to use the Jim Leahy one, they're all the 
the same. Flour, flour, <laughs> Call salt, it what you will. yeast, water. Um, and I think I mentioned this on our when we were first kicking off our bread month and and talking about why we're excited about the no need peasant dough. I I love a no need um, because sometimes that's just what I want. It's quick, it's easy. But the only downside of this particular recipe has been that it requires the twelve to eighteen hours of overnight. But I have found that it's very forgiving. I used to kind of really try and stick tightly to that 12 to 18 hour overnight rise. And so I would make it at about like, kind of as I would start getting dinner ready, like say about 5 p.m. And then I would start um, shaping it and getting it ready for its second rise at about noon the next day. So that would be about mm, 17 hours, right? But I've also found that it works just as well if you do 24 hours or 12 hours. So it's got some flexibility. It just does require that, that day ahead planning. I do think it has a fabulous flavor. I love cooking in my cast iron Dutch oven um, in the oven. I think it does a really great job of sort of creating that steam environment. So you get yeah. that nice crusty exterior, but still that soft interior. I do put mine on a sheet of parchment into the Dutch oven and it has never stuck. I've never used a spray. I've never used an oil. I've never done anything to grease the pan or the parchment. I just put the dough right on top of the parchment, put the parchment in the Dutch oven, put the lid on. You cook it for 30 minutes, then you take the lid off and do an additional 50 15 minutes. The only thing that is um, tricky about this recipe is you have to preheat the Dutch oven. And so you need to put it in the oven about 30 minutes ahead of time while your oven's preheating to 450. And then you have to pull it out to put the dough into it. And I'm always very anxious during that part because it's so hot. And I'm so afraid that I'm just instinctively going to grab the lid or the handle and burn myself. Yeah, I have a casserole that I make in my Dutch oven that's like that. It goes from the stovetop to the oven and you have to uh, then pull it out. And as you're stirring it, I'm always convinced. You know what I do in situations like that is put the um, thing you grab. The, the pot holder? Yes, yes, thank you. <laughs> yep, yep, the pot older on top yes of the lid to remind so even you. because when it's then even when it's cooling down too it can be so hot for so long so yeah good point yeah good point. i do that well i'm excited thing. to try this one too have not done the cast iron bread and i know you and so many of our listeners love that i've had great success with other mark Bittman as well yeah. so well and i should add one last thing that i i have now adapted this and started using my sourdough starter but the original recipe does not use sourdough and i i think i recall you saying you're not a huge sourdough fan so you do not have to make this as sourdough that's just an option you can you can oh, do just great. regular yep mm-hmm. yeah sourdough is actually it's not my favorite yeah. I, it's fine you know I'll, yeah but it's it's not my favorite flavor of bread so yeah. that's great to know yeah. okay so what tell us what is your favorite, Stefan? Well, I don't know if it's my favorite yet, but I wanted to give an option for listeners who, like me, really do enjoy kneading. And this is a white yeast bread from an Australian baker named Rachel Allen. And I really like this recipe. It is not only with uh, milliliters, but it, the ounces. It has it has both uh, the metric and the U.S. measurements. So get on any side of the pond. Love it. And 
is a nice, um, just nicely written recipe. She's got some variations if you want to use your stand mixer and it has a dough hook if you want to knead this completely by hand. It's about a 10 minute knead, which would be the longest knead time of any bread that we've done mm-hmm. uh, this month. Sometimes I just find that really relaxing yeah. and therapeutic, as we talked about last episode in um, in our banter yeah, at the beginning of that. mental health benefit there from your kneading. Exactly. Yeah. So, and she also just gives some nice variations, and we had touched on this earlier in this show, too, uh, with, with some of Robert's uh, variations. But this, she tells you how to shape into a dinner roll or different shapes and put poppy seeds on this batch or oh nice this that and the other it's just it seems like a really nice versatile loaf to make if you are just in the mood for some kneading so that's a great idea give it a try i love that Remember, we'll have a link to all of these recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as on our Pinterest and Facebook pages. Next up, we are going to jump into our book club. And Stefan, this month we are reading the appropriately named Sourdough by Robin Sloan. Um, This was a book I was very excited about when I saw it come out late 2017. I had read his previous novel, Mr. Penumbra's... 24-hour bookstore, and I had really enjoyed that. And I like his writing. A lot of people describe it as quirky and whimsical, which is one of my Mm. favorite things. Mm. So... I then decided that you needed to read this book as well. I think I sent it to you either for your birthday or for Christmas. Yeah, for my birthday. For your birthday. And so then when we, our listeners picked Bread Month for March, we decided it would be the perfect tie-in. So why don't you kick this off and tell us what you thought about Sourdough? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading this book. I thought it did two things really, really well. And and the first thing is it talked about bread as a community builder. And so this follows the path of a bread baker named Lois, who is um, a tech person by day and kind of stumbles into an ages-old sourdough uh, starter and loaf making by night and how it morphs into this uh, calling for her, really. And so it talks about bread baking as community. Andrea, that's like the reason we started this podcast about baking as community. So I really loved that. And it also tackles this idea of technology versus doing something by hand. Because what Lois is working on in her tech world is an automated arm that can help, a robotic arm that can help in a kitchen. And she's tasked with coding it to be able to break eggs. And just the kind of running commentary throughout is that this robot arm can never learn to break eggs until she has this breakthrough at the end. Anyway. Yeah. And I just thought that was a very interesting thing to think about Mm -hmm. as when we think about food that's mass produced and how there is a real urge to get back to handmade mm-hmm. or small batch type of things mm-hmm. and what that means for the people eating the bread, the people making the bread. And we're talking bread here, but this could be a variety of, sure. of things. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I was surprised that it was, you know, kind of as deep as as it as it was mm-hmm. talking about bread making. Mm-hmm. You can really talk about life in general when you're talking about making a loaf of bread. So, yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed the first half of this book or maybe the first two-thirds. I loved Lois's character. I love that she belongs to a group called the Lois Club, which yeah. is 
women. Is that a thing? Nothing but women who have the name Lois. And, you know, my name, Andrea, is a little bit unusual. And I still get a thrill when I meet someone or am corresponding with someone named Andrea. I was having to do something with a financial institution the other day, and it was very odious and difficult. But the girl's name is Andrea. And so it, it made it such a pleasure. Oh, and at nice. the at the end, she said, you know, us Andreas have to help each other out. And I was like, yes, you're right. Thank you. <laughs> so... Oh. You know, I never will meet another Stefan. If there's a Stefan, a girl Stefan out there, yeah, it'll be. Yeah, girl. <laughs> that'll be the day. Girl Stefan with an I. Listeners, if you guys That's find right. this one, let us know. Because right now, Stefan oh, is a club of one. She's, uh, she's lonely. Me, myself, and I. <laughs> I did think the author really set up well how um, how people's jobs can be a, a thing of joy or just a thing of drudgery. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, her job to me sounded so horrible. Terrific. That working on that robotic arm, being in sort of this uh, almost 24-hour-a-day focused on one thing, obsessive environment, eating nutritious gel packs called slurry for food. Right. I, right. Nothing about that appealed to me. That is just not a life I can understand. Um and but I just thought he described it so perfectly. And I know there are people who live that way. And I know there are people for whom food is um, something that you eat because you have to. It doesn't bring them yes. joy. It doesn't bring them pleasure. It's not their thing. And so I do enjoy, you know, reading about people who think so differently than I do. I, I loved her relationship with the starter and, you know, how she sang to it and she grew to love it. I did think she was turning out almost perfect loaves a little too quickly for my own mm. own liking. I felt a little uh, competitive Fiction. there. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, wow, um, what has she been You're- doing this for a week? And she's now turning out sourdough loaves that her uh, corporate cafeteria wants to purchase from her. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah indeed. Yeah. I think where the book lost me was toward the end um, that with the, the Lembus, the experiment going on in the lab about a different type of food that uh, can maybe – Again, it's kind of an interesting sociological thing, you know, a food that is not necessarily bred for taste, but bred for reproductibility and maybe being able to feed masses of people. And you think about areas of our world that have severe hunger problems and, you know, what could this do for them? Um, It went a little off the rails for me at at that point. But overall, I would give it, I I think I gave it three stars. I I wish I could give it three and a half. My rating system only allows full stars. So it wasn't quite a four for me. It wasn't a three. It was kind of right in between. Yeah, I'd agree with that three star because the end kind of has this you know, the thing that ate Brooklyn. Right. Um, it just That just seems, just seems Silly. not. It yeah. doesn't work. It yeah. doesn't work. didn't work for um, me. But yeah, but it fit perfectly with this month. And I love reading about baking and and bread making and, and people who love to do that. So um, I wanted to just quickly, if folks are motivated to read more about baking or bread related, I've found this series, and I haven't read this, Andrea, um, it is by an author, Judith Ryan Hendricks, and her first book is called Bread Alone, and it is about a baker who escapes L.A. for the simple life in Seattle. It is very what? well regarded, like New York Times bestseller. She has two sequels to it, which are kind of progressively less, people are less enthusiastic about them, but I did think that was a good series to look up if you were into bread making. Yeah, and, uh, how have I missed that? that? I'm shocked. 
And then the other one, I just I would be remiss to not give my pal Janet Ivanovich uh, the Stephanie Plum series. Her second book in that series is called Two for the Dough. <laughs> That's a great one. Perfect. Has nothing to do with baking. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. But there you go. Uh, well, listeners, if you guys read Sourdough, we will put a post in our Facebook group, and we would love to hear your comments on what you thought about the book, or if you have any other baking-related cookbooks or um, fiction books. Obviously, Stefan and I both love to read. We know a lot of our listeners love to read, and we're interested in your bread-baking book recommendations. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get this episode onto the cooling rack. Next week, we're kicking off April with that zingy, zesty favorite, citrus. Join us for five weeks of tangy recipes to usher in the first full month of spring. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and consider ranking and reviewing us on Google, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you download our podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.